Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So it's Thursday afternoon, another one that's come up so quickly as we round off the month of November. Can you believe it? I just, you know, it's a bit cliched, I suppose, to say how time is flying. But what's good about it is that it means we are in Hanukkah season. Hanukkah season is always a fun time. So looking forward to that. And we've got, I'm actually involved in quite an interesting Hanukkah project, which I'll tell you a little bit about. It's Fresh Thinking. You are with Rabbi Shishla till 3 o'clock. We'd love to have you as part of the conversation. So... Let's uh, let's get it rolling, as we always do. There's interesting stuff and interesting conversation. And I had a little bit of a personal debate about exactly where we should take today's conversation, just because of various things that came up during the course of the week and things that people brought up. But you know what I thought? Maybe at this time of the year, it's, it's good to go with one of those classics that everybody would always have an interest in and an opinion on. Actually, somebody Dafka asked me this week if I would talk about it. So I figured, you know what? It's related to the Torah portions that we're reading at the moment. It is intriguing. It's something that has a wide range of opinion. Let's talk today about dreams. So it's open season. You can, you can share yours. I'm not going to propose that we'll do dream interpretation here today, although I think that there are some people who would like that. And they would say, I dreamt about this the other night. What does it mean? Reminds me a little bit of a story. Um, you know, of a group of people and the various dreams that they were sharing with each other and what it, it all meant. And of course, you can imagine some of the tongue in cheek and cynical replies that come in that kind of a conversation. So we're not going to do dream interpretation per se. However, it's an interesting phenomenon, whether you like it or not, whether you believe that you dream or not, because there are always those people when you have this conversation, I never dream. There's always those people who say, I never dream. And then, of course, the diehard response is, of course you dream, you just don't remember the dreams when you wake up in the morning. So it's it's something that fascinates and it's something that's very much part of our lives and it's spoken about in Jewish circles. So let's talk about it here as well. What are your experiences, your perspectives? Do you believe that dreams are significant? Do you believe that they are meaningful? Let's start the conversation there. And of course, you can share your thoughts on text radio as we do it over here. You can SMS 34519. You can also send a WhatsApp on 0618951019. Certainly going to invite your tweets because that's where a lot of the action happens on Fresh Thinking. And the address or the handle to use on Twitter is either at Chai FM or directly to me at Rabbi Shish. Let's talk about dreams. Let's talk about what they signify, if anything at all. If you think that they are just purely your imagination running wild, so you could share that with us as well. If you think they are deep, meaningful, and almost prophetic, well, then let's hear it. And ideally, if you're going to make a particular argument around dreams, let's see if you can corroborate it with something, with an experience or a source or something that would make it interesting. Let's hear from you. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. One of the first places that we come across dreams as playing a significant role would obviously be in the early biblical stories, many of which we are reading about in the Torah at the moment. And that probably is the reason why somebody said, no, why don't we talk about dreams? So let's see if we can compile a biblical list of people who had dreams and dreams of significance. Maybe that's a good place to start. So I'll throw one out and see what you can come up with in response. And 
special prize to the person. Uh, it will be a virtual prize, of course. It will be a prize that will live inside your own sense of self-satisfaction. But a special prize bragging rights for the person who can come up with the most obscure biblical dream. Because I think everybody knows that the minute you start to talk about dreams in the Bible, everybody is going to tell you about Joseph and his dreams. Because Joseph even has the nickname in many circles of being the dreamer. So it's an immediate association that people make. We do know that Joseph's dreams were not necessarily that popular. Got his brother's backs up, and for good reason, I suppose, because the dreams were all about the brother's Bowing to him And nobody wants to hear that Nobody wants to be told Listen I've got a message for you And the message is You're going to become subservient And I'm going to be the center of attention Obviously nobody likes that But if you think about it It is, it is interesting That Joseph That people will refer to Joseph As the dreamer If you consider that We're only told Of two dreams That he had Now considering That the average person Dreams on a regular basis Maybe even nightly Two dreams in a lifespan, not overwhelming, and yet the Torah says that those two dreams were both significant and both of them actually carried messages that landed up coming to fruition. Still, whichever way you look at it, that means that he only had two significant dreams or so it would appear. And the irony of the story of Joseph is that while he is called the dreamer, the better way to, to, to define him and to describe him would have been the dream interpreter. Because people do have dreams. You know the experience. All of us have dreams. And afterwards, you, you kind of wake up scratching your head and you think, where did that come from? I mean, there are certain dreams that we identify immediately. Okay, I know why I'm dreaming about that because I'm a little bit obsessed with that particular topic at the moment. Or there are people who have a particular dream and then wake up and say, I know why I had that dream because I saw this particular person and it brought up some memories. And those memories are what are playing on my mind right now. So, yeah, okay, we, we, we do get that. But occasionally there's the, the, these dreams that are significant and meaningful but seems to be so occasional. Anyhow, so coming back, so Joseph, the greatness of Joseph is not just that he has dreams but he knows how to interpret them because most of us don't. Most of us are a little bit confused once the dream has happened. We think, okay, so I can't really – I don't know what to, put, what to put it down to and that's where you find people saying interesting things like maybe it was the pasta that I ate before I went to sleep that caused that particular dream. Now, Joseph had the gift of being able to interpret. Firstly, he interpreted his own dreams and did so correctly. Very often, very often, a person's not able to define or decode their own dreams. That's interesting. And then, of course, he lands up being sold by his brothers, and it's a very convoluted story of what happens to him after that. I mean, he lands up in all kinds of bad environments, starting in a prison and then landing up in, uh, start, sorry, starting up as a slave, then landing up in Potiphar, who is a nobleman's house, and then from there into a prison, and eventually making his way to the top of the pile and becoming the most, literally the most powerful man in the whole world. And along the way, there are a few other dreams, but they're not his. They're not Joseph's dreams. There's a dream of the royal butler. There's a dream of the royal baker. And Pharaoh himself has two dreams. And Joseph plays the role of interpreter in all of those dreams. And it would seem that in the ancient world, dream interpretation was a big deal. People would pay money to have their dreams interpreted. The Talmud speaks about that and speaks about how there were dream interpreters who used to charge if you paid. I don't think they had a flat rate. So if you paid them a decent amount, they gave you a a positive 
interpretation of the dream and if you paid less than what they expected then you got a an interpretation that was less than you would have wanted so there it was definitely a thing i'm not sure at exactly which period in history it faded away because you really don't have many people today at least not that i'm aware of and perhaps i'm wrong but you don't have many people today going to seek the services of dream interpreters i know that sometimes people will knock on the rabbi's door and say rabbi does the Torah say anything about this particular dream i've had consecutively over X period of time, but to actively seek out the aid of dream interpreters doesn't seem to be a thing today. It certainly was a thing thousands of years ago, so I'm not sure exactly at which point it stopped. Joseph becomes a prominent member of society primarily because of his ability to interpret dreams. So that would seem to lend itself to the fact that there is significance in dreams. Having said that, again, would you go running? Let's say that there was a fee associated with it. Would you go running to a dream interpreter every single time that you had a dream? I don't think so. It would probably have to be a dream that was either compelling or frightening. And that's what makes a person suddenly go looking Maybe somebody can help me make sense of this because I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand what this is supposed to mean. So... I don't know. Let's see. Here's a, here's a message where somebody says, I believe that some dreams are messages to us from people who've gone ahead. Now that automatically opens another whole angle to this conversation, which I hadn't actually anticipated that dreams are messages from people from so called the other side. I remember reading a story. I think it's in one of the small miracles books about a fellow who was in a concentration camp and had a dream. And in the dream, his deceased mother came to him with a very determined look on her face and a, a very you know, insistent that the next morning she told him there was going to be an attempt to breach the camp and for people to escape and he should be part of it. And when he is like a, an absolutely clear description, when he gets out of the camp, should go this distance in that direction until he finds this particular barn and go into the hayloft and, and wait there for this many days and then he'd be safe. Now, I suppose when a person has a dream like that, you know, that, that's really, it's got to shake a person up, particularly when it was obviously very vivid for him. And the story goes that this fellow followed the instructions in the dream, managed to escape the concentration camp, got to this particular place, and it so happened that he was then reunited with his sister. They had been separated when they'd gone to the camps, uh, or at least when he had gone to the camps, and this dream was very clearly directed to bring the two of them together. And that seems like it was a message from a deceased person, from somebody who passed on. So I know that sometimes there are occasions where people believe that a dream is a means of communication of a soul from the other side. And that may be the case. It's interesting because if you look at the classic biblical dreams, you don't typically find that there are dreams of neshamas, of souls coming to living people to give them messages. You generally find that it is just a dream without necessarily the clarity of where the dream comes from. So that's interesting that people naturally believe there's an association. Dreams are an opportunity for souls to connect beyond the here and now. Maybe we could talk about that a little bit more as well. Here's a WhatsApp that says, I've learned that when we sleep, it is a 60th, uh, 60th experience of the spirit world, hence a dream of one's passed on. Also, 
the significant dreams are the ones when you just wake up. Okay, so that's interesting. How do you know if a dream is significant? There have to be some symptoms, right? Because sometimes we ascribe significance to dreams that are absolute nonsense, which might well be what happens in most cases. And other times, you might want to push the dream out of your mind and actually it is Significant. So before we talk about that, I just want to say something. This comment that sleep is one sixtieth of the spirit world, there is a statement in the Talmud that says various things are one sixtieth of greater experiences. So like Shabbos is considered one sixtieth of the experience of the time of Moshiach. Sleep is considered one sixtieth of the experience of death, and dreams are considered one sixtieth of prophecy, not of the spirit world. Of prophecy. Now that's an interesting thing, and that should really get the cogs working in your mind because what does that actually mean? 34519, if you'd like to SMS your views, otherwise, WhatsApp us on 0618951019. This is Fresh Thinking. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So there we go. We're talking about our first insight, I suppose, is the idea that dreaming is one sixtieth of prophecy. Somebody obviously knew that about Josh Utah on Twitter says, uh, do you believe dreams are meaningful? He says one sixtieth meaningful. <laughs> um, that sounds to me like one sixtieth of an answer. But I suppose now that we have a little bit of context, it is interesting that the one to sixty ratio appears in various places in Jewish literature and always as if to say that it's something which is almost altogether insignificant. So you could say the same for dreams, that to say one in 60th does not mean that one out of 60 of your dreams is prophetic. It means at best your dream contains a fraction of prophecy at best. And I think we'll all agree that much of our dream or many of our dreams are about a whole lot of nonsense. You know, In the Torah portion that we're going to read this week where we have Joseph dreaming about his whole family coming to bow to him as if he becomes some kind of a leader. What a radical suggestion. Only it lands up being true. So he has two dreams. And in the first dream, it's just about his brothers bowing to him. But in the second dream, which he relates to his family, which is about the sun and the moon and 11 stars coming to bow to him, the implication is that his father and mother and his 11 siblings would bow to him. And as soon as that happens, Jacob, his father, who realizes that this is creating a lot of friction between Joseph and his brothers, comes along and says, hey, look at that. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You've dreamt that your mother will come to bow to you, and we all know that your mother is no longer alive. So that's not possible. Now, the Talmud uses an expression that says, there's no such thing as a dream without devorim betalim. That means to say, even if it were a prophetic dream, assuming that such a thing is something that happens to people like you and I, I can understand that if they're people on a very high spiritual level, they may in fact pick up prophetic or, or, or messages of Torah in their dreams. But for the rest, and, and then they'll have this Devorian Battalion. They'll still have this little bit of nonsense. That means that every dream has to have something which is implausible. Has to be. So in Joseph's dream, there's the implausible part. His mother can't bow to him because she's no longer alive. Of course, that doesn't necessarily disqualify the dream because by definition, the Talmud says that's the way dreams are. And you have to kind of sift out the, the grain from the straw as the expression goes. You've got to try and find what's meaningful in the dream, if anything. And again, many of our dreams are 
not necessarily meaningful. So let's talk about that. How would you know? What would be the signs? Here we had a WhatsApp. Somebody says the significant dreams are the ones that you uh, that when you just wake up. Oh, hang on a second. Maybe I misread that the first time around. The significant dreams are the ones when you just wake up. I think that the implication of that could mean one or two things. A little bit ambiguous. If we can clarify that, it would help. Because are, are you saying in that WhatsApp that it's a significant dream if it happens and the next thing you wake up? Like you don't feel as if you've slept from the dream until the moment you wake up. Well, are you specifically saying significant dreams are the ones that happen at that time of the night just before you wake up? Let's just clarify that. That's a little bit ambiguous, but it could actually lend itself to quite an interesting discussion. And I'm interested just if you're listening, just give us a yes or no. Are you the kind of person who takes dreams seriously? Just a yes or no. It would be interesting to get a poll, just get a little bit of a a scan of what our audience is like in terms of the perspective on dreams. I know that many people are interested in learning about dreams and if they may have some kind of symbolism. But what's your knee jerk? What's your gut feel? Are dreams to be taken seriously or not? Again, let's go through the Tanakh. Let's go through the Bible. Who had dreams? Who are the famous dreamers? So I've identified Joseph. I was hoping that people would come on board. You've made other comments, which I'll come to as well, but nobody's come on board yet with other people who had dreams. We've already touched on Joseph, the royal butler and royal baker in Pharaoh's court. Of course, Pharaoh himself and all of them at around about the same time. And you do have to wonder why it is that there is a concentration of stories around dreams, specifically towards the end of the first book of the Chumash. And then you don't really hear much about dreams thereafter until you're deep into the books of the prophets. Interesting. So if anybody's got a thought on that, share that with us. So who else are the dreamers in the book of Beratius in early biblical history? Well, of course, we have Jacob. And the most famous of Jacob's dreams is the one where he dreams of a ladder that is firmly planted on the earth, but yet its top reaches into the heavens and it's got angels going up and down. There is a lesser. Oh, there we go. Somebody just WhatsApped that through. As I said it, Yaakov had a dream too. Yes, thank you. That's correct. Yaakov had a dream. The truth of the matter is the Torah reports that he had more than one dream. We know that when he was trying to get his father-in-law who was also his employer, to pay him out for all the years that he had worked. He has a dream of exactly what the sheep were going to look like. The Torah tests to that, that he was going to have a dream. And that dream, of course, becomes very significant and practical. It actually plays out in his life. Okay, there we go. So we've got Joseph, we've got Jacob, we've got the royal butler, the royal baker, and we've got Pharaoh. Is there anybody else who you know of who had dreams in the Bible? We'll keep that conversation running in the background. So if you do have a thought on that, please go ahead and share it with us. In the meantime, the main conversation is, do you think that dreams are significant? Your your personal experience, do they carry meaning? Are they something that you should give attention to? Here's uh, Abe on Twitter says, only if whatever transpired in your mind the previous day was meaningful. Now, this is a very interesting thing because I think we know this psychologically. We know it intuitively. And the Talmud talks about it quite a lot, that the majority of the stuff that comes up in your dreams actually has everything to do with what preoccupied your thoughts during the day. So if you want to have significant or meaningful dreams, it would be useful for you to have a significant or meaningful thought process during the course of the day. So there's an interesting connection that dreams are the things that play on your mind now coming out into the open. The Talmud tells an an interesting story about a great nobleman who came to the sages and said, if you are so wise, tell me what I will dream about tonight. And they they did. They said, you're going to dream. But they specifically chose things which they knew would be very shocking to him. The, The 
image of him being led away in iron chains. So that kind of thing obviously played on his mind for the rest of the day, and that's what he landed up dreaming about that night. So there's no question about it that there's a very strong correlation between what you think about during the day or over the course of days and what starts to play in your minds. And, and you could do this as an exercise, by the way. You can wake up in the morning and say, this is what I dreamt about. Let's see if I can track it back. What happened yesterday or in the last couple of days? What have I been thinking about? Who did I meet? What planted a seed into my mind that was lying there in my subconscious and was released in the dream state? Because basically what happens when you're dreaming is you, you switch off many of your filters. The things that would keep those uncomfortable thoughts out of your mind, they go into a state, a neutral state, and they don't, they don't help, they don't block, and you get the stuff that's swirling around in your subconscious coming to the fore. Here's a WhatsApp from Cynthia who says, I have life-saving dreams, some from deceased relatives and friends. Yo, I'd love to know more about that. That sounds really, really interesting. Life-saving dreams is a big thing to say. Uh, Cynthia's WhatsApp continues, plus a weird dream of a living sibling's past life. When I checked the facts, they eerily matched historical facts of a book I had at the time. I feel like I'm the only one who can interpret my dreams because I have my own symbolic language, and yes, I take them very seriously. So I wonder, there's so much in that. I mean, this idea of life-saving dreams from deceased relatives and friends. I mean, that'd be very fascinating. We'd love to hear about that. And dreams about past lives. I don't know what to make of that because anytime that people speak about experiences in past life, regression and that kind of thing, which would probably be subject for another whole show in its own right. But when you talk about those things, I often wonder how much of it is subconscious information that we've picked up from TV, from reading books, from hearing things from people. You know, you assimilate information into your brain, then you forget that you put it there, and then at some point it leaks out. And the next thing you know, you believe that you know things that you shouldn't know. So I'm just putting it out there because I'm always a little bit unsure of whether claims about past lives can be corroborated. But here, And, and here's another question. When it comes to interpreting dreams, is it something that a person can be entrusted with? In other words, can we, can we trust you to interpret your own dreams? Maybe you've got a particular bias. Maybe you'd like the dream to mean something or other. And maybe that's problematic, right? Because you, sh- you kind of shoot the arrow and then start painting a target around it and saying, that's what I want. That's what I want the dream to mean. And I wonder if that actually makes a difference. There's a very interesting insight from the Talmud on exactly that point, which we'll talk about momentarily. For those of you who have just joined in, it's 14.30, 2.30 p.m. That means that we're halfway Already through this conversation. If you'd like to participate, 061-895-1019. That's for WhatsApp, 34519 for SMSs. You can tweet at Chai FM. You can tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. We're talking about dreams. I've got to be careful. I know many people who listen to this are in the car driving, and there might be a little bit of subliminal suggestion over here around dreams. So just keep your eyes open and stay focused on the road. Don't think that talking about dreams should seep into your subconscious mind and put you to sleep. Rabbis generally are quite good at that. So we're talking about dreams, and if there are significant, some very interesting things coming past, coming, coming through. Here's Eugene on Twitter who quotes from the Zohar that there are six levels each which encompasses 10 sub-levels between Netzach and Ratzon. Therefore, dreams which have their source in Ratzon are one sixtieth of prophecy, which is from the world of Netzach. That sounds like classic Kabbalah. And classic Kabbalah, obviously, 
is something that people can easily quote, but not necessarily easily understand. So maybe we'll just park that one. Here's a WhatsApp that says, as I understood from a shir given by Rabbi Yosef Mizrahi, it is a dream of significance if it is just before we wake for the day. Ah, there we go. That clarifies the ambiguity. So that's a follow-on from the previous WhatsApp. So the significant dreams, and I'm glad you. I'm glad that's how you clarified it because there is something in the Talmud that seems to imply exactly what you've just said. So it's those dreams in the morning, early morning, just around about the time that you're waking up. Those are the ones that are significant, and the Shira apparently also continues that interpreting dreams is dangerous. Well, why would it be dangerous? Maybe you could say reckless interpretation of dreams could be dangerous. In other words, if a person does something that plants a seed in somebody else's mind, that could be self-destructive or pessimistic or whatever, you know, some kind of a negative seed that you plant. When a person is asking for a dream interpretation, they're quite susceptible, they're quite vulnerable at that point in time. So, yeah, you've got to be sure not to be reckless, that you don't do something that's going to cause a lot of damage to that person would definitely agree with that now there's an interesting thing in the talmud just talking about dreams and and when they occur and what the significance is right in the first tractate of the talmud which is the tractate of brochus and it talks over there about dreams and it also talks about sleep and it talks about how the night is effectively divided into three segments the first segment of the night the talmud identifies is the time when the donkeys bray. Now, I don't know anybody who's got a pet donkey, and I certainly hope that your neighbor doesn't have one because it's one thing to have your own pet donkey. It's another thing to have to be uh, the neighbor of somebody who has one of those donkeys braying at all kinds of awkward times. So the Talmud says that the first period of the night is the, night, is the time when the donkeys bray. The second period of the night, which obviously includes midnight, so in other words, the darkest, if you wish, time of the night, is associated with the time that the dogs bark. And the third phase of the night, the Talmud says, is when a mother gets up to feed her baby and she has a chat to her husband. In other words, people are starting to stir and prepare to get up for the day. So there you have it. The first part of the night related to donkeys. The second part of the night related to dogs. And the early morning hours are directly associated with waking up. Now, there's a commentary on the Talmud, beautiful t- commentary called the Chidushe Agados from the Maharsha. And he writes that these three stages of the night are directly related to the kinds of dreams that a person will have. So the first part of the night, call it the first three hours or so of the night, four hours of the night, thereabouts. So the first part of the night, when you've just gone to sleep, those, if you dream during that period, the Marashah says, that's the time of night where you're most likely to dream about the stresses of the day. And he, he says that that's the significance of you have this word donkey, you see, because in Hebrew, the word donkey is chamor, and chamor is directly related to the word chomer, which is matter or materialism so the sounds the talmud is telling us what do you hear you hear the sounds of the donkey what's playing in your mind which track is running through your mind at that time of the night the donkeys the stuff of this world the concerns the stresses the issues that you have to deal with so it's quite likely that those that period of the night early part of the night that's going to be the time that you dream of things that are playing on your mind and by the way it's supposed to be quite healthy in fact the talmud says that if you go for a few days 
days without dreaming, it's a very unhealthy sign. And one of the explanations that's given, a more spiritual explanation, is that it's an opportunity for your brain to flush out the kind of things that would weigh down on your rational mind. You see, when you go to sleep, you switch off your rational mind. That's basically what happens, and that's why dreams are so ridiculous. The minute you wake up, you go back and you think, what? How on earth did I dream that? That doesn't make any sense. But when you're in it, when you're in the dream state, the dream seems to make absolutely perfect sense. It doesn't matter that you change three countries in the process of 30 seconds. It doesn't matter that you're there with one person. The next, next thing you know, it's a different person. It doesn't matter that you're walking upside down wearing some kind of uh, purple hat with green spot. You know, it doesn't make a difference because while you're in it, your rational mind is switched off. And so you can accommodate all these crazy thoughts. So it's healthy. It allows us, you know, we have many worries and stresses and things to play on our minds. And if we had to address them with the rational mind, we'd probably feel overwhelmed and we'd, we'd be looking for solutions and it would just get too much for us. So you've got this opportunity. You go to sleep, you switch off the rational mind, confront those things, flush them out of your system. You actually wake up in the morning feeling, as we know, refreshed. So that is the first kind of dream. And it's typically in the early part of the night. You're still carrying stuff from the day, and now you're processing it in a particular way during the course of the night. The second period of the night is compared to the dogs. And dogs are very often used in Jewish Torah literature as a symbol for negative spiritual forces. There are various places where it makes that kind of a reference. And if you think either of a vicious dog or even if you think of a dog that just yaps and yaps and yaps and yaps and yaps and doesn't let you go and it doesn't stop for a moment. So that's that's also associated with this negativity. This is Either it's vicious or just kind of latches onto you and doesn't let go. So according to the Marashah, when the Talmud says that the second part of the night is when the dogs bark, that means that the track that's running through your head, the kind of dreams that you are likely to have at that time of the night are going to be the kind of dreams that um, that that are nightmares, basically. Negative forces that are creeping into your mind to torment you. So you'll notice that quite often, not always, Quite often, when a person has a nightmare, it's deep in the night. It's, it kind of works together. You know, you wake up and it's pitch black outside and it's absolutely silent and it kind of just magnifies the nature of the nightmare that you've had. So that's a different kind of a dream. It's a, it's a time almost, if you wish, where your neshama, your soul, has detached from the body to a certain extent and left you vulnerable. So now these negative forces can creep in and start feeding you stuff that's going to torment you and stress you and make your life miserable. And then you have the last phase of the night, which is you're heading towards the morning now. Things are starting to brighten. You have refreshed yourself. Your soul's been on whatever soul journey it goes through during the course of the night. It's now preparing to return to the body. It's a, it's a positive time. It's an upbeat time. There's conversation. It's a time of connection. We're told that the connection between husband and wife is representative of the connection between us and God. The mother feeding her child represents that Hashem is now going to provide for us for another day. Things are good. Things are looking up. At that time of the night where it's a positive energy and where it's an energy of connection, that's usually where you're going to have your more positive dreams. And those are the dreams that are likely, if ever, to be significant. And that's why that WhatsApp a little bit earlier to say that the dreams just before you wake up are the dreams that carry the most significance is borne out by this particular perspective, this particular interpretation that that's exactly what it is. Because just before you wake up is when the energy in the world is turning to become more positive and significant. It's a time where there's going to be connection, connection between you and your soul, connection between you and God, a connection between you and the capacity to have a positive impact on the world. So while all of that is happening, 
if a dream seeps in at that time, it's very, very likely that it's going to be a positive dream. So what else can we say on that? There's so much. I've got this book, recently bought this this book. It's thick. It's like a nice, thick book of all the resources in Judaism about dreams. I've only just scratched the surface, read the first couple of pages. Fascinating stuff. I'd love to hear your views and your opinions, your insights, and your experiences on 34519. That's our SMS line. You can WhatsApp 0618951019. And some tweets coming through still at FM and at Rabashish. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So, definitely interesting the minute you say dreams. People are interested. Here is Mervyn by WhatsApp who says, Did not Avimelech have a dream? Because we're looking for biblical people who had dreams. Uh, did Avimelech have a dream? Interesting because, the, yeah, I mean, we do know that God told him. Various things about how he was treating Yitzchak and Rivka, or prior to that, uh, Abraham and Sarah, well, particularly Sarah, was it necessarily in a dream? Interesting. I'm trying to remember if the Torah uses the word chalom in that particular case. Uh, there is, of course, a rule of thumb which says that most, as uh, we see God tells Aaron and Miriam, most prophecies were delivered through dreams. So sometimes, even if it doesn't tell us that it was a dream, it's kind of expected that it was a dream. So yeah, definitely a good point. And um, here's somebody who says, uh, Damon says, yes, dreams are meaningful provided you can remember your dreams because they could pinpoint psychological issues that you may have. I don't think that there's any spiritual connection. So I think the Talmud would agree with that. Remember, again, the Talmud says that most dreams are nonsense. Most, right? So that's in itself an interesting thing because yet we find some are meaningful. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that really gets you a little bit tied up in knots because, you know, is it or isn't it? Somebody sent me, I don't know if they want this necessarily shared on radio, but somebody just sent quite a personal thing about a dream that they had um, about a member of their family and then how that dream panned out in real life. How's that? Here's uh, another, Ronnie says, most of our dreams are just about what is on our minds and our subconscious. Some are without doubt signs, premonitions, or warnings. And again, I think that that's what really gets people frustrated is how do you know? Because sometimes you have a dream that's a very, very frightening dream. You know, I heard something really interesting today, and I had never heard it before. They have some sofer, Rabbi Moshe sofer, who is a, a great, um, a great leader, scholar, Halachic was lived in Pressburg at the time that it was under siege by Napoleon. I never heard the story before, and somebody just told it today. And what happened was he had a dream, and in his dream, something devastating. It was a terrible nightmare that something devastating had happened to his family. And at that time, the city was under siege, and people were encouraging. They had a way to smuggle him out. They were encouraging him to leave, and he, and he felt that that might be the right way to do it, to mitigate the dream. In other words, he had dreamt that something devastating was going to happen, so he thought – Perhaps if he translated that into kind of a self-inflicted devastation, move from everybody you know, leave your community, leave your home, go to a, to a place where you don't know how they're going to welcome or look after you, that that might do the trick. It's very interesting because the Talmud says something very much along those lines. And the Talmud says that all dreams follow the mouth. 
Meaning to say, and I'm sure you can understand and resonate with, with this concept, the way you speak about the dream, what significance or meaning you ascribe to the dream, that becomes the relevance. And that's why it was so interesting, and not just interesting, but it was so dishonest when the Talmud tells us that there was this dream interpreter who, depending on how much money you paid him, would give you a favorable or not so favorable interpretation, which obviously is, I mean, so dishonest. But the bottom line is that that talks directly to the fact that dreams become some kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. When a person has it in their head that a dream means a particular thing, we know what's going to happen. They're going to naturally gravitate in that particular direction. That's how it is. And that's why we're told, on the one hand, the Talmud says that a dream which is left uninterpreted is like a letter that nobody's ever read, which seems to sound like it's nudging us in the direction of interpretation. You know, well, why don't you find out what the dream means? On the one hand... And yet, on the other hand, it says, you've got to be so careful what you say, because if you say it in a particular way, you ascribe a particular meaning, that becomes the person's reality. For example, the Talmud tells a story about a woman who had a very scary dream about her house collapsing in on itself, and she went running to the sages, please interpret my dream for me. And the sages told her, well, what it means is that it's, it's all symbolic and it just means you're going to have a child in the same way as, you know, there's this destruction of the home. Well, you can, any parent, any mother of a son would know what that means. The, the symbolism of the destruction of a home representing a child. We'll just leave that as that. And she was very happy, obviously, and relieved. And she went home and it came true and she had a child. And sometime later she had the identical dream came running and the sages were not around. So she went to the students in the yeshiva and said, what does this dream mean? And they said, oy vey, it's terrible. It means your house will fall down. And that's what happened. You know, generally speaking in Judaism, we believe that what you say has a tremendous impact. We've spoken about that previously on this show. The way you speak is real. It makes things real. It, it cements things into people's lives and into the world that we live in. So you've got to be really, really careful. And along exactly those lines, you've got to be so careful what you say about a dream. I had a dream last night versus I had a terrible dream last night. There, you've already loaded it. And especially when you say, what do you think it means? And people say, well, maybe it means this, maybe it means that. And that's it. That's now in your head. And it's difficult to get it out of your head. It's, it's now swirling. It's moving. It's, it's playing on your mind. So we've got to be careful about those things. What is fascinating is once you start to look in places like the Talmud and the Kabbalistic literature where they do say that there are certain symbols that generically represent certain things in dreams. So you'll be very surprised at what some of the things mean because some of the symbols are really, really negative symbols and yet their representation is something highly positive. I'll just give you one example. So the Talmud makes the suggestion that when you dream of a snake, it's actually a positive thing. Now, I don't think too many people dream, but the average person who dreams about a snake, it's probably because they have a phobia. And if it's not a phobia, then it's the off chance that you had a direct personal encounter with a snake. I mean, why on earth would you dream about a snake? We live in the city, for heaven's sake. Whoever sees snakes, unless, of course, you've got one as a pet. But uh, interestingly, the Talmud switches it and says it's, a, it's actually a positive sign, which is, which is interesting, right? Definitely, definitely interesting. So we're not going to do that now. We're not going to go through the list and say this represents this and that represents that. I think what is important to say is that at a time when people were typically more spiritually in touch, then it was more likely that they would have spiritually meaningful dreams. Right? And at a time such as ours now where I don't think we're as spiritually in touch as 
they were 100 years ago, certainly not 500 years ago, and definitely not 2,000 years ago. A lot of the stuff that's swirling around in our heads is just nonsense. I mean, there's, there's all this screen time that we have, and it's placing images inside our minds, much of which we don't even recognize that we're digesting because it's just flowing in subconsciously. And then you wonder why you have crazy things happening in dreams. Uh, here's a WhatsApp where somebody says, dreams can be very real. I dreamt I was in a fight, took a huge punch, and woke up with a crash because I had punched the bedside lamp across the room. It's not unusual, by the way. I, I, I know, actually know somebody who had a very similar thing and had a dream that he was a world-famous heavyweight boxing champion and woke up having punched the wall. And I don't know that it was such a comfortable wake up. So it can happen. Dreams can seem very real. I think we have to distinguish between a dream seeming real and a dream being real, right? When you're in it, the dream seems to be so absolutely vivid and clear and true and compelling. doesn't mean it is real. It feels real. And it's important to make that distinction. Where we make dreams become real a lot of that lies in the interpretation. Once a person starts talking about it and says, I think it means X and Y, that's when you start bringing it down into the practicalities of this world. You've got to be careful and know what it is that you're doing. Maybe that was the message earlier on with that message, uh, that WhatsApp that said interpreting dreams could be dangerous. Well, it, like I say, reckless, reckless interpretation. If a person is, is, is not thoughtful about who it is that they're talking about and on what basis they're making their particular claim of interpretation, if you're not careful about those things, well, then, yes, you can end up in very problematic places. So dreams, I think, will always intrigue people. And the minute somebody shares a funny dream or a strange dream that they had, or the minute you read about, as we're doing this week, dreams in the Torah, this is the kind of conversation I'm sure that will come up. And, you know, we could talk about it for hours. Hopefully, we get a little bit of a handle on it now. If you've got a thought, you've got a few minutes left. Three, four, five, one, nine by SMS. Otherwise, WhatsApp, oh, six, one, eight, nine, five, one, oh, one, nine. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 high FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So, talking about dreams, you know, some people think of dreams, I suppose, and they immediately think of aspirations that's another whole perspective on dreams maybe and i think there are people who will tell you that that they had a particular dream and that became the inspiration for something that they then developed or did or achieved what we do know as jewish people is that if we create an environment and this is what we believe very strongly if we create an environment during the course of our day that is meaningful and positive and spiritually connected then we have a chance that the dreams we dream will be meaningful and spiritual and connected. But if we spend our day just chasing our tail and trying to satisfy our drives and lusts and pleasures, it's unlikely that we're going to have deep and meaningful dreams because essentially you don't become somebody else when you go to sleep at night. You become you just without your natural defenses up. So sometimes a dream, if nothing else, is a little bit of a magnifying glass just to be able to look inside and see who am I? What am I really all about? What do I care about? Because that's what's coming through in that dream state. And I think that that's maybe a sobering thought, but probably an important thought. Before we run away with all these fanciful ideas about I had a dream and maybe it means that I'm going to win the lottery because I dreamt of the numbers. So I'm going to go buy that. I'm not saying don't buy the lottery. Maybe there is somebody out there who dreamt the numbers and, and won the lottery. I don't know. 
But more than anything else, you know, Judaism tries to keep us focused on being introspective. It tries to keep us focused on growing and developing ourselves, not to wait around for that dream to interpret itself, but to be proactive. Look at Joseph. He had all these dreams. He didn't sit there. He did things about it. He began to dress the part. He dreamt of leadership, so he dressed like leadership, and he spoke like leadership, and that's, I suppose, what his brothers did not like about him because he kind of elevated himself above all his older siblings. But... I once saw a line that says, if you want your dreams to come true, wake up and get to work. So from a Jewish perspective, if you want your dreams to be meaningful, look at the dreams and say, what does it tell me about me? Because he has an opportunity for an unfiltered version of me. And if you want your dreams to turn into something, well then, you know, maybe get up and do something along the lines of those dreams. Try and make it happen. Try and turn it into something. I think it's a great lesson from Joseph. One last thing, by the way, one last thing. And that is when you have a dream, it's interesting how in the moment the dream seems absolutely real. Like that WhatsApp that somebody sent to say they punched the lamp across the room because that's how real the dream seemed. The minute you wake up, you suddenly realize it was all a fiction. While you're in the dream, it might feel like it's taking a very long time. By the time you wake up, you realize it was just a few minutes. So King David writes in Tehillim that when Mashiach comes, we'll suddenly realize that this entire difficult, laborious golos, this exile that we've been in for the last 2,000 years, was actually just a dream. That means to say that we'll have the benefit of retrospect. We'll be able to look back and say it felt long, but it really wasn't. It felt real, but it really wasn't. And that would be an amazing thing. That's why we talk about Mashiach as being, so to speak, a wake-up call. So let's all hope that we have the opportunity to catch that wake-up call. You know when the alarm goes off in the morning earlier than you expected? This is a good alarm to go off earlier than you expected. Just at a time when the world seems to be coming a bit nightmarish again, especially for the Jewish world. Let's hope for that wake-up call to happen right now in the month of Kislev, the time of miracles. The time where a small group of people who could only have dreamed to overcome the Greek army did. Let's hope for those kinds of miracles. I want to wish you not just a great week and not just a good Shabbos, but a joyous and illuminated Hanukkah. And if you are looking for something interesting to do, next Wednesday, 5 p.m., we're going to attempt at our Hanukkah party to break the Guinness World Record for the highest stack of donuts. Sounds like a lot of fun. Maybe come along and see what it's all about.